Job 19. Job is right before the book of Psalms. All right. For I know that my Redeemer liveth, and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. And though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh shall I see God. Praise God. Now, no man has seen God at any time. But Job said, I shall see God. They shall call his name Jesus. They shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save Redeemer. He shall redeem his people from their sins. His name was Emmanuel, which being interpreted as God with us. Job really had a revelation, didn't he? Praise God. All right. I believe that Jesus Christ is coming back just like he said. Praise God. All right. You may be seated. And we go back to some church business before we get into the preaching of the word of the Lord tonight. We have had a group of people very interested in purchasing the building. They have looked at the building two or three times. Brother Manley and I met with uh, a representative from the group uh, Friday morning, and they really want to purchase the building. Now, it would be for the purpose of a daycare center or preschool. So it would have to be rezoned and uh, quite a few things, but they're very interested in purchasing the building. So I wish that you would... uh, Uh, pray about this. Of course, uh, Brother Johnson and his group have declared that they'd like to purchase the building. I did tell Brother Johnson that we would have to sell to uh, any person who would would come with the money. We just feel that we have to do that. Uh, You can figure out what's the will of the Lord for you. Uh, If you say it's the will of the Lord, then just have faith that uh, you can buy it. But uh, we have already determined it's the will of the Lord for us to move, and so we will sell to a buyer. And, and so that's where we are at this present time. I'd like to see Brother Johnson and his group get the building. Now, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. But uh, because they are a small group, there is always a possibility that uh, it will linger out some time longer for them than what they would want it just like it's lingered out some time longer for us in moving than what we we wanted. But uh, it does look very favorable at this time. In fact, we've got quite a bit of interest in the building. But this, this group, uh, they're very serious about uh, purchasing the building. Actually, what they'd like to do is lease the building on a five-year lease with an option to buy or... Uh, just lease it outright. We don't really like that idea, but the figures that we discussed were quite favorable. So we'll have to wait until we hear from them and then, of course, have a board meeting if they come across with an offer and then meet with the entire congregation relative to their pleasure. Praise God. The resurrection. The resurrection. I want to talk about 
the resurrection and the second coming of the Lord. I believe that Jesus Christ is is uh, to appear soon. Now, back in 1982, when the uh, Jupiter effect was here in March, there's a lot said about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, some of the churches of the Christian community went so far as to say that the Lord was coming in March of 1982. Now, the Bible tells me that no man knows the day nor the hour. Uh, while I looked at the scientific data relative to uh, this situation and what the scientists were actually saying could occur, I realized that it could, uh, that could have perhaps been uh, the time in which the Lord could have appeared. However, the speculation of the scientists did not come true. And as you know, the speculation of uh, different occurrences that, that uh, were there certainly fit into the book of Revelation. A lot of things that they were saying uh, that could happen were actually spelled out in the book of Revelation. What happened, however, as a result of, of uh, this seemingly embarrassing situation to uh, the religious community, people stopped talking about the coming of the Lord. Well, that's not going to stop His coming, however. See, will not stop the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ promised that He would come. I really believe that He will come. My uh, son asked me, one of my sons asked me, do you believe, Dad, the Lord will come in your generation? Well, I went to Bible school one year in Texas Bible College in 1963, after one year in a Bible college, I decided that during the summer months that I should uh, go out and do something for the Lord in a little bit different measure than what I was doing. I was assisting our pastor in, in Houston, Texas, Brother Fuller, who came and preached here, Brother Fuller from Nacogdoches. We've had a lot of Brother Fullers around lately. But... Uh, and I was also head of our bus ministry and visitation and teaching. I was a youth leader and teaching a youth class. Plus, I was going to school full-time and working a full-time job. Now, I had my hands full. There's no doubt about it. So it wasn't that I wasn't doing anything. I just uh, felt that the direction was changing for my life. So I went uh, and started. Uh, I went and preached weekend services in a real small East Texas town. And almost every weekend, we were baptizing people. Well, when it came time for us to go back to school, we already had a pretty good group of people there, and they wanted us to come and pastor them. And I got to thinking about the Lord coming back, and I knew He was going to come back in 1963 or maybe 64. So I decided that that I should go. Now, Brother Fred Foster, a lot of you know Brother Foster. He pastors in West Monroe, Louisiana now, a real large church, done a great work for the Lord. He was the president of the Bible school, and he called me in and said, Brother Grant, now you think the Lord's coming back, but he said, now I'll tell you what I did. He said, I went one year in San Antonio, Texas in 1947. 
And uh, I left because I knew the Lord was coming back. <laughs> so he said, now, <clears throat> you see, uh, uh, while we all are looking for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, please understand that uh, the Lord may not come as soon as you think. And you would be better off to stay in Bible school. Now, I do not regret dropping out of Bible school and going and doing what I did because I really felt it was the will of the Lord. I really did. But uh, here we find ourselves 21 years later, and uh, the Lord still hasn't come. Now, when I look in the Bible, however... I find that the apostles, when they lived here, they actually thought the Lord was coming in their day. They really did. And it appears to me that the real impetus, the real prime mover, the real motivator behind a lot of their activities was the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. They really felt that He was coming back. And that hope has seemed to keep alive uh, for the most part, uh, Christians down through the years. My grandfather used to weep and cry and talk about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. He has passed on. Going back to the question that my son asked me, do I believe the Lord will come in your generation? Now, I personally believe that He will, and of course the reason why that I, I make that statement uh, unlike all of the generations in the past, the signs of the Bible, as far as I can see, have been fulfilled. We are finding when we're going into missionary countries or countries with missionaries, we are finding, much to our surprise, that there are many, 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 many people who have received the gospel in generations past, in those particular lands. We were surprised when Brother and Sister Wendell went to Ethiopia to find that many people there were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We were so surprised when the Siberian Seven uh, had communications with us and Brother Urshan and, and, and our missions director, Brother Sism, and... Uh, some of our other brethren went to Russia to find that, that the Jesus name, oneness church in Russia, could be larger than the church here in the States. That in Russia and in Moscow alone, 102 underground churches, oneness churches exist. Now that's a lot of churches in one city, see. Well, they're not very large, nothing like as large as our church. Most of them are just a handful of people here and there. And they have to meet in basements of homes and such. But they have thrived under persecution. So, much to our amazement, we're finding out that the gospel apparently has been preached into all the world for witness. Now, Jesus said, now this generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. It appears to me what he was saying is the generation that sees the fulfillment of the signs will not pass without seeing my return. Now, 
due to the words of Jesus, I personally believe that you and I should stay rapture ready. Ready for the trumpet to blow. Now, I live in a robe of flesh just like you do. And all of us who live in robes of flesh, there are the seeds of destruction built right inside of us. As much as I love the Lord, if I stop praying, there are seeds of envy in me. There are seeds of strife in me. There are seeds of bitterness in me. There are seeds of lust in me. There are seeds of greed in me. There are lying seeds in me. All of these things are resident in the robe of flesh that I wear. And if I don't put my body under every day, as Paul said, it is possible that I might become a castaway, knowing that those seeds are there. While the plant has been cut down, and we should not allow those things to spring up within us. Uh, in the book of Hebrews, it speaks of a, a root of bitterness springing up within us and defiling the body. And see, that can happen. So there are the seeds of destruction in every last person that sits under the sound of my voice tonight. Why do we pray? Why do we seek the Lord? Why do we live in hope? Uh, why all of these things? Because we understand that Jesus Christ is going to return, and we know that His return means meeting the Lord face to face. This morning I briefly touched on the resurrection. I also touched on a few things about eternity. But as far as I can see in my Bible, separate and apart from supposition, I say separate and apart from supposition, you and I have a choice to, to be saved, and by that I mean go to heaven, or to not do anything. I mean just totally nothing and be lost. Now that's a choice that we have. Now, people ask me about the new earth all the time. What about the new earth that, that, that Peter speaks of, wherein dwelleth righteousness? Now, I said separate and apart from supposition. Uh, I... I'm not here to, to speculate tonight on what I think Peter was speaking of. I have my own personal ideas as to what he was talking about. But when he comes right down to it, when Jesus informed us about salvation, he told us that our righteousness comes from him. The apostles tell us that our righteousness comes from Jesus. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. The Jesus way is spoken of in 1 Corinthians 15, the death, the burial, and the resurrection. And I'd like for you, if you would, to turn there with me. And we're just going to talk tonight about the resurrection. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 He said, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand. Now, how do we receive the gospel? The gospel comes from two Greek word words, God spell, that actually means good news. So the gospel 
Every now and then somebody will say, now this is the gospel truth. And they make reference to to the gospel when they are trying to to validate some statement of theirs. What, What they're actually saying is that this is as true as the gospel. The problem is most people don't even know what the gospel is. If you were to go to the average church-going person and say, what is the gospel? They would say, well, I understand it means the good news. What good news? Well, just the good news about Jesus, about his resurrection. But you see, uh, Paul says, now we receive that gospel. Not only do we receive it, but we stand in that gospel. By which also ye are saved. Did you know that you're saved by the gospel? Now, notice after this, he inserts this. We're saved by the gospel if we keep in memory that which we have preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. Now, there's only one way that you can have constant faith in the gospel, and that's to keep it before your mind all time. See, that's what he's saying. You've got to keep the gospel in front of you all the time. If you don't keep the gospel in front of you, you will err from the gospel. You'll leave it. You'll depart from it. It it will be impossible for you to, to, to stay with the gospel if you do not keep it in your memory or before you all the time. Now, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of the Lord. We need to read about it. We need to talk about it. We need to testify about it. Praise God. I appreciated these testimonies. Sister Ellen's testimony. And uh, Brother Paul Crawford's testimony. The testimony of this young lady who stood and talked about, this is my first time here. But I felt something. Now I understand that you have had a walk with God in the past. So she, she understands a little bit more about this than, than perhaps what some of you who are visiting with us understand. But I believe that you feel a magnetic drawing of the Spirit. While you may not understand all the things that were done and all the things that have been said in this place this evening, that you definitely feel a drawing, a pulling force. It's, it's there. I feel resurrection life and power in this assembly tonight. Jesus said, Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. I personally believe that Jesus Christ is right here in this place tonight. Praise God. I believe that he's right here. Now I want to go ahead and read all of this and tell you why I believe that he's here. For I delivered unto you first that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins, According to the scripture. Paul says I received this. Now it wasn't when he said I received it. He wasn't just talking about hearing it. And that he was buried. And that he arose. That he rose again the third day. According to the scriptures. Now notice what he says. Now after the Lord rose. He was seen of Cephas. Then of the twelve. After that he was seen of above 500 brethren at once. Most are part of the Great Commission was given to more people than just the 12 apostles. 
part of it was only given to the twelve. And it was the twelve that saw him ascend into the heavens. But in the forty days in which he ministered after his resurrection, at one time he ministered to at least five hundred people. Most Bible scholars, after searching the scripture, believe that Jesus, prior to his departure, and prior to calling the twelve aside for the ascension, just before he left, he ministered to at least 500. They probably heard him say that they should go into Jerusalem and tarry until they be endued with power from on high. Now the reason why it's believed that it was the 500 that heard, and not just the 12 that heard that commission, while the Bible does bring out that the 12 received part of that commission, when they went to Jerusalem, there were at least 120 of them that went. And they probably not went, they probably did not go, rather, at the demand of the apostles, but at the demand of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. While 120 of them went, if there were 500 there, 380 of them didn't go. Now, what happened to the 380? We, we don't really know. We just know that when the Holy Ghost was poured out in the upper room on the day of Pentecost, they weren't there to get it. They did not receive it. But nevertheless, the promise was to them. For Peter said, this promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Now, he goes on to say, the 500 at once, of whom a greater part remain unto this present, but some are fallen asleep. After that he was seen of James, then, all, then of all the apostles. And last of all, he was seen of me also as one born out of due time. For I am the least of the apostles, that I am not meet to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God I am what I am. And his grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Wherefore, whether it were I or they, so we preach, and so ye believed. Now listen to this. Now if Christ be preached that he was rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen. And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching in vain, and your faith is also vain. Now, if Jesus Christ were not alive today, it would be impossible to believe for anything. If the devil could have kept him in the tomb, if he could have. And this was the greatest defeat that Satan ever knew. Is when Jesus Christ came out of that tomb. 
If the devil could have kept him in the tomb, it would be impossible for you to have sins remitted or to pray any prayer of faith or to preach any message and see Bible results. It would be impossible. And that's what he's saying. So in view of the fact, he said, that we are able to preach and believe God and see positive results, this is proof that there is a resurrection, that there was a resurrection. Now, he tried to validate that resurrection by saying that I was an eyewitness along with all the other apostles, and besides that, there were 500 brethren that saw him. Now, this is evidence enough to present to a court to prove a point. Whether it be a pro or a con, it is evidence enough. If you have someone that will testify in court, court either against you or for you, saying, I saw with my eyes, sometimes only one person is enough. Under the law, it took two or three witnesses to prosecute. And that's what he's trying to say. That Jesus Christ is alive And the reason why is because 500 people saw him. Now can you you possibly say that all 500 of these people are lying? And not only that, but the apostles. But then he goes on down to say, but another line of logic is this. That if Christ were not raised from the dead, then your faith is in vain. You could not pray one prayer and get positive results. The devil would have already won a victory and God would not be a prayer answering God. Now, you may sit here tonight and you may not believe in the resurrection. But nevertheless, Christ is alive and he has been resurrected. And if you've ever prayed one prayer, regardless of how tiny or insignificant, and if you saw the answer come your way, That is enough proof that there is a resurrection. That there is a live God today. Praise God. That's what he's saying. If you've ever preached a message any place and saw positive Bible results. Where people actually came and gave their heart to God. As a result of the, the pulling, the drawing of the Spirit. He said that's evidence that there is a resurrection Now the foreshadow of the resurrection was seen in Matthew the 17th chapter when Jesus was transfigurated. Jesus went up onto a mountain which is called the Mount of Transfiguration now. And there Jesus transfigurated himself. Now when I say he transfigurated himself, God just came down and changed him momentarily so that the apostles could understand just a little bit about the resurrection. Now when he transfigurated himself, he appeared there to Moses, with Moses and Elijah. Now, the apostles knew when they saw all of this that uh, this was a foreshadow of something. The reason why? Because Moses had died centuries before. And Elijah was a man who had not seen death, but he was caught up in this whirlwind or chariot of fire and take it into the heavens. And here both of them who have left the planet earth long, long years ago stand with Jesus Christ. 
Now Jesus was transfigured. He was changed. He looked different. Now this happened only for a moment's time. This was a foreshadow of the resurrection. Of course, just like most people, because that Moses and Elijah stood there and because they were walking around with Jesus and because that, that uh, they seemed to be in the spirit world, they were in the spirit world, these apostles, they wanted to build three tabernacles or they wanted to resurrect monuments uh, to those dead saints. It may not occur to you, but the reason why that I believe that when Moses died, that God hid his body. Now, he died up in the mountain of Nebo. And he had looked over in the promised land. Now, the Lord would not allow him to go in the promised land. Somebody asked me, do you believe that Moses was kept out of the promised land? I said, wait a minute. I believe Moses was kept out of the promised land while he wore this fleshly robe. But I do not believe that Moses was kept out of the promised land after he died. Because he was in the promised land on the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus Christ and Elijah. And while he disobeyed God and was not allowed to go into the promised land, nevertheless, this great man of God saw the promised land, walked in the promised land, because he was there transfigurated with the Lord. But it appears that the reason why that God, to me it appears this, the reason why that God, when he died, wanted to hide his body is because that the Israelites reached the point in which they, they depended on Moses too much. You see, there was a time in which they, they cried out, give us another leader. But before Moses died, he found great favor in the eyes of the people. And he was about to lead them into the promised land and would have led them into the promised land, except through his disobedience, he was prohibited from doing this. But he did win great favor with the Israelites. Now the devil came down and disputed with God and contended for his body. In other words, the devil was saying, I want that body. Why did the devil want the body of Moses? You see, it would not have made any difference whether the devil had the body of Moses or not as far as Moses' salvation was concerned. Why did the devil want it? The devil wanted to take that body out among the people and show the people, here's the body of Moses and today all of Israel would probably be the disciples of Moses instead of the disciples of Jehovah. And when Jesus was transfigurated, they saw Moses, they saw Elijah, they saw Jesus, and then they fell down and worshipped, and the Bible says that they stood and declared, we want to build not one tabernacle, but we want to build three tabernacles, one with Moses' name on it, and one with Elijah's name on it, and one with Jesus' name on it. And all of a sudden, poof, everything went blank, and darkness fell. And when they opened their eyes, Moses and Elijah were gone, and there stood Jesus only. Praise God. And I think what Jesus was saying, if you want to resurrect monuments, and build churches, and build your steeples and towers and such, Make sure that they're not built in memory of some earthly man, but make sure that they're built in the name of the Lord God of heaven. Praise God, and that is Jesus Christ. Why? Because our soul, 
Salvation is determined by what Jesus Christ did and by what he was. Praise God. And so he was transfigurated. This was only a foreshadow of the resurrection. John the 10th chapter, and you need not turn there, but you who are keeping notes, you can write these things down. Another type of the resurrection was the resurrection of Lazarus. Jesus went to that grave. Lazarus had been in the tomb four days and four nights. And when Jesus went there, now his, his sisters had called for him. When Jesus got there, the sisters came out and said, Oh, you're too late. He died four days ago. He's in the tomb. And Jesus said, Well, let's go see how he's doing. And they said, Oh, Lord, no, we don't want to go out there because, you know, we have already sealed the tomb and, and uh, the, the funeral is all over with and the viewing of the body is all past and, and we, we just don't want to. And Jesus went out there and, and uh, he wept with them momentarily and then he said, Now, let's roll back the stone. And, and they said, Oh, he's been in there for a long time. Now, if we roll back the stone, you know, don't you understand by now he has begun to decompose? And, uh, and he stinketh by now, Lord. We, we, don't, you know, we don't want to do that. But the Lord says, no, I want you to roll back the stone. And uh, they said, uh, well, Lord, he said, do you believe that, that, that Lazarus can live? And they said, oh, we know that in the last days that there will be a resurrection. We know that in the last days. Now the reason why that I feel an urgency to speak this to you tonight because most people always gear their faith for tomorrow. It's going to happen tomorrow. It's going to happen two weeks from now. It's going to happen ten years from now. It's going to happen twenty years from now. Isn't that just like human nature? Somewhere down the road there will be a resurrection. And you will be justified in saying it sometime from now until... There will be a resurrection. But Jesus said, I am the resurrection, and I am the life. And Jesus cupped his hands after they had rolled back the stone. And he said, Lazarus, come forth. And the Bible tells us that Lazarus came forth. Now, when Lazarus received life in his body, what brought him to the front of that tomb? The resurrecting power of the Lord. Lazarus did not walk to the front of that tomb. But all of a sudden, here he was. He was bound in these grave clothes, wrapped up in these swaddling clothes, bound there. Now, the reason why that I know he didn't walk, because he stood there and Jesus said, Now go get your scissors and cut him loose so he can walk. But Jesus had already brought him forth. Now this was a foreshadow of the resurrection. One of these days the graves are going to open up. And the dead in Christ will rise. They will not come forth under their own power. But the drawing of the almighty power of God will raise them up out of that tomb. And then they will be set free to walk with their own power after they have received an incorruptible body. Praise God. Jesus prophesied about his resurrection. He said, as Jonas was three days and three nights in the heart or uh, in the belly of the whale, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Matthew 12, 39 through 41. In John the 12th chapter, verse 20 through 32, Jesus Christ speaks about his resurrection. And I'd like 
for you to turn there, if you would, to John, the 12th chapter. And we just want to take a look at just one verse. Jesus, in verse 31, said, Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. When? When he is lifted up from the earth. Notice what he says. And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. Now some people think that was the lifting up on the cross. No. He said the lifting up from the earth. And when he is lifted up from the earth, now is the judgment of this world. Now that simply means that 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 God judged sins on Calvary. And it's possible for you, through the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, to receive remission of sins. That's why Paul was saying in 1 Corinthians 15, If Christ be not raised from the dead, then he said, Every man still in his transgression or in his sins. It's impossible. But because he came forth, he said, The prince of this earth or this world, who is the devil, was then bound and cast out. Did it ever occur to you that the devil is the eternally defeated foe? He is the eternally defeated foe. That simply means that when you peep in the back of the book to find out the end results, he is bound hand and foot and cast into the lake of fire. Now, when I went to school, I never was a big cheater, just a little bitty cheater. But every now and then, I'd run across something I couldn't work, and we had the answers in the back of the book. The answers are way over in the back of the book. Now please understand, Calvary Christian students, that I did not even proclaim a walk with God and, and what I did was not honest. I made good grades in school, by the way. Whether you believe it or not, I did. But uh, I looked, to, looked in the back of the book every now and then. Well, you see, Revelation is the answer book. That's the reason why it's called Revelation. Because God sheds light upon all the happenings of the world and the total plan of God down through the centuries. And when God begins to shed light, when you peep to the answer book, you find that the devil, along with the beast and the false prophet, are bound hand and foot and cast into the lake of fire where they will be burned forever and forever and forever. Now, you know the devil knew this was coming. This is the reason why. That when the devil spoke out of the madman at Gadara, when Jesus Christ came, that he said, Thou son of man, why has, have you come to torment us before our time? In other words, they knew that their time was coming. But oh, thank God that we can serve a captain. Yes. Jesus Christ is the author and finisher of our faith. Right. He's the captain of our salvation. Amen according to the book of Hebrews. And you and I can be on a winning team. Praise God. It makes me thrilled inside. And great joy floods my soul to know that I'm on a winning team with a winning captain. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Hallelujah. 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 Ask me why I clap my hands when I worship. Because I'm on a winning team. Do you know why people clap their hands? The clapping of the hands is to show appeasement. 
That means pleasure inside. I like what I see. I like what I feel. I like what I hear. Praise God. And so when I'm singing and the Spirit of the Lord is moving and Jesus Christ is walking among us, I'm glad that my captain is here. He is the victor. Praise God. I like what I feel. I like what I hear. I like what I see. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. This is the reason why. This is the reason why that the, when the tabernacle of David was constructed in Israel and God brought a great revelation of New Testament worship, this is the reason why that the psalmist said, Clap your hands, all ye people. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord. Let everything that hath breath Praise the Lord! Why? He received a revelation that Jehovah God walked among His people. Praise God! Oh, hallelujah! Let's clap our hands in victory tonight. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Oh, blessed be the name of the Lord. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Praise God. I've got so many notes here. A lot of times I don't use any notes, and sometimes I use too many notes, and it's hard for me to just hit a happy medium. I'm not going to be able to cover all these notes. But if somebody get me a glass of water, this will sure help me. Brother Brian? Praise God. Now, Jesus said in John the second chapter, verse 19 through 21, He said, You destroy this temple, or this body. That's what He was talking about. He said, in three days I will raise it up. Now, Jesus Christ proclaimed that he would raise up himself from the dead. The reason why that he proclaimed that he would do it, because the true identity of Jesus Christ was God, Jehovah, God the Father of the Old Testament. Now, Paul then tells us in 1 Corinthians 15, let's go back to 1 Corinthians 15, we'll probably stay in this chapter just for a little while. That whole chapter is such a remarkable chapter because it explains so many things to us. Verse 20, But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the firstfruits of them that slept. Now, there were Old Testament saints who died and they were buried in the ground. Now, Jesus Christ came forth from the grave and when he did, he became the firstfruits of those that slept. Now, that simply means that Jesus Christ is the first fruits of the resurrection. Now, you will notice, thank you, Brother Brian, you will notice in the Bible, the Bible definitely tells us that when Jesus Christ arose from the grave, the Bible tells us in Matthew 27 that the Old Testament saints, many of the Old Testament saints rose out of the grave. But the Bible makes it very plain that they did not Uh, come out of their grave until Jesus Christ was resurrected. Jesus Christ was the first fruits of the resurrection, and then those Old Testament saints came out of the grave and ministered and walked in the streets of Jerusalem and spent some time there, and evidently then they were caught up into the holy city with the Lord. Now the reason why I say they were caught up in the holy city with the Lord, because in Revelation 5 and Revelation 6, you will find the New Testament church is around the throne there. I'd like for you to just turn there, if you would. I've gone over many of these scriptures over and over and over. 
with some of you in private Bible studies and, and of course behind the pulpit I've spoken about these. I say Revelation 4 and 5. I said 5 and 6, didn't I? Revelation 4 and 5. Now, the seven church ages are mentioned in Revelation 2 and 3. The seven letters to the Asian churches are mentioned there. As far as I can search out in, in, in church history, these seven letters definitely parallel seven particular church ages or times. They also correspond with the seven parables of the kingdom of God in Matthew 13. When, when Jesus prophesies about the progression of his kingdom. At some point it does not look like it progressed at all. But it grew corrupt. And you Laodicea. You will find that Revelation 4. This is the answer book now. This is the book of Revelation. It's the book that has the light in it. That, that shows you the plan of God. After this I looked and behold a door was opened in heaven. Now this is talking about the resurrection of the saints, or the rapture of the church. A door is opened in heaven. Now the Bible says in the first voice which I heard was as it were a trumpet talking with me which said, Come up hither, and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. Now that's the first voice. And of course, if you look around the throne... In Revelation 4, verse 4, and around the throne were twenty and four seats. And upon the seats I saw twenty and four elders sitting. The twenty and four elders represent the Old Testament church, the twelve tribes of Israel, and the twelve apostles, or the New Testament church. So, here in Revelation 4, we find the Old Testament saints in heaven along with the New Testament saints. Well, the Old Testament saints were resurrected back then when Jesus Christ came forth. The New Testament saints will be resurrected. And if you will look in verse 51, verse 51 of chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 15, 51. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed. In other words, death will not come to everybody. You see, it's appointed unto man once to die, after death the judgment. And we say, every man, it's appointed unto him to die. That is true with one exception. And the exception is that there will be people alive when God lets the curtain fall and says we're going to close this dispensation. Now, those people who sleep with the Lord, they're going to be caught up at the sound of a trumpet. The first trumpet. But then there will be a second trumpet, or a final trumpet, that will sound, and it will call forth those that are alive and those that are remain. That's what Paul is saying. We shall not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In the moment in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. Now he's talking about the people who are not sleeping. For the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. For this corruption must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality. Praise God. Now he goes on to say, so when this 
corruptible shall put on incorruption, and this mortal shall put on immortality. Then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. And then he says in verse 55, and oh, what a powerful, powerful scripture. Oh, death, where is thy sting? Oh, grave, where is thy victory? Now, maybe, maybe I'm thinking of the resurrection because of a, an event that just, just happened. We, we learned last uh, Monday night that one of our dear friends and a man that I pastored for some times in Texas had passed away. Brother David Fuller from Minneapolis who preached over here at our banquet last year and, and, uh, and then in our church service, his father went in for a gallbladder operation. And when they opened up Brother Fuller, they found that his gallbladder was embedded inside of his liver. They said he was probably born that way. Now, they did not know this, but he was having a lot of problems with it. They decided they would take his gallbladder anyway, so they had to make an incision into his liver, take it out. Then he started hemorrhaging inside. Over a period of days, they gave him 42 pints of blood. 42 pints of blood. And at the same time, his body went into shock. His body uh, rejected the blood. His kidneys failed him. And uh, his liver stopped functioning. And Brother Fuller passed away last Sunday morning. Now, we did not find out about this. Several people were to call us, but didn't. we didn't find about it, uh, out about it until uh, Monday night. We, Sister Grant and I called the family. We sent flowers down there. We talked with, with uh, Brother David Fuller and talked with Sister Fuller. It was just such a shock because here's a man who's just having just kind of a problem with his stomach. And every time he'd eat, it just felt uncomfortable. A lot of discomfort. And he went in, and just a matter of, of uh, hours there, he's dead. And it was just a shock for everybody. But I talked with Brother David Fuller, and I said, Now, Brother, Brother David, uh, what, what about your dad? It, of course, he was a faithful member of the Longview Church where Brother Spears passed, pastors. I have two sisters in that church. And, and uh, he said, You know, my dad's a real businessman, and, and we, we know that Dad knew he was going to die. But uh, he, he never said a word to any of us. And uh, I said, How do you know that your dad knew he was going to die? He said, Well... He said, you know, my dad's a real businessman, and uh, he keeps everything in order. And we never even thought to look until after he died, and we went to his office. His office was not in the house. And here Brother Fuller on his desk had laid all of his insurance policies out. Now, his mother is not a real business person, and she gets a lot of things just confused. She's always dependent on Brother Fuller to do everything. But here he had... All of his burial policies and his life insurance policies and everything. And then he didn't have time to go deposit a Social Security check, so he had it there. And he had a note there to his wife telling her that she should deposit this check. And, and he kind of bid her farewell. And, you know, after all of that, here's a man that can come into his home and sit down and eat with his family. And go into the doctor's office and let the doctor examine him. And go into the operating room. No no fear or anything. No fear or anything. 
a feeling in his own heart that he, he'd never come out of there alive. Now, now, how can people, how can people possibly accept such a, such a great, great challenge? And I would say that's one of the greatest challenges of life. How could he hold his composure? Because, and I'm not saying that, that, that if a person gets nervous and, and, and frustrated at, at, the, at the, the fear of death, that they don't have the victory that they need to have. But, but it seems like that, that God just gave him a calmness about it all. And, and he just believed that, that, that I have lived my life on this planet earth. And now I'll be planted in the ground. But see, the end is not there. It's not there. And this is what Job was saying. Do you know that the book of Job is probably the first book that was written in the Bible? Job lived to be 140 years old according to the last chapter of the book of Job. And his lifestyle and offering up sacrifices leads us to believe. In fact, we know he must have lived before Moses. Moses wrote the first books of the Bible. That is, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. The first five books called the Pentateuch. Moses wrote those. But here's the book, a book of poetry. That's right before the book of Psalms. That was probably written 600 years because of the age in which he lived. 600 years before Moses ever came on the scene. So he had no Bible. He had nothing but just the voice of God that spoke to men in those days. He offered up sacrifices every day for the sins that his sons might have committed. He was a very conscientious person. Yet he had in his own mind faith that there would be a resurrection. And when skin worms were upon him, during the time in which he had all of these boils and everything, Job did not lose his integrity in God. Even though his three friends came in, they heaped ashes and sand upon their heads, refused to talk to him. They sat seven long days and just looked at him. And finally they left. His wife said, why don't you curse God and die? How come Job did not just curse God and die? How come he held on to his integrity? Because he knew that one of these days that death will come. And they're going to plant my old body in the planet earth. But he also knew that in the last days that his Redeemer was going to raise him up. He believed that his Redeemer would die and be planted in the ground. But that he would be lifted up from the earth. And Job knew that even though skin worms destroyed his flesh, yet in the last days in his flesh, in his flesh, he would see God. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. He knew that day was coming. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. And so Paul, having that same identical faith in God, knowing that Jesus Christ was resurrected from the dead, he said, oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, grave, where is your victory? Praise God. In other words, he knew that the time would come. And if it comes to me... Praise God. It'll just come. But out of that grave, I will come. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Why? Because Jesus Christ came for it. Hallelujah. 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 Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. I love the old spiritual that said, Ain't no grave gonna hold my body down. 
Praise God. I believe that. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Did you know? Did you know that this life that I'm living now is just the backstage where I prepare myself and dress myself for my grand entrance into my real life that is life eternal. Praise God. It's just the backstage. It's the dressing room. But one of these days, they'll come and knock on the door and it'll open up and say, Now is the time for you to come in and live in my presence forever and forever and forever and forever. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, glory, 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 glory. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. First First Thessalonians, the fourth chapter, and I'd like for you to turn there with me if you would. Oh, what a familiar passage of Scripture to most of us. But what a great passage of Scripture. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 13, Paul says, But I would not have you ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not even as others which have no hope. You know, it, it is so, so tragic to go and preach a funeral to someone who never manifested faith in God in their whole life. I was called on to come to a hospital room I went to the hospital room, it must be six, seven years ago. Here I found a man on the hospital bed. He was in a coma. The family asked me if I would pray for him. He'd been involved in some type of an accident. I'm not for sure now about all the details. And so I simply prayed for him, and then they called me and asked me if I'd hold the funeral. He passed away. I asked to meet with the family. Here are four or five children there, and here's a wife, and here's a mother and a dad, and four or five brothers and sisters. I asked them, I said, uh, what about this man? Did he, did he uh, said, you're wanting a religious funeral? Did he go to church any place? And they said, to our knowledge, he's never been in a church in his whole life. What about when he was sick? Did he pray? Did he call on God? Nope. Did he ever make any reference to to wanting to live for God or anything, they said, look, as far as we know, this man cared nothing about God or nothing about religion. Here I was to hold his funeral. It's, a, it's kind of a hard thing, you know. And uh, the wife told me she had gone to church and gone to Sunday school with her kids and she said, I know it's a hard thing for you, Pastor. She wept and cried. She said, just do the best you can. We understand. And I looked out across the congregation that day, and I saw her sitting there. Talking about a bewildered look. Look, no hope. That's the way she felt inside, no hope. And that's what Paul is saying. He said, now, I don't want you sorrowing as others which have no hope. It's, it's, really, it's really sad when, when somebody dies without God. I mean, it's, it's really sad. And I've wondered so many times what I would do if, if my mom or dad or some close loved one died and I knew there was no hope. Now, I know that people learn to live with it and I know that you have to. 
And I've thought about my wife that I love if we were separated eternally. My children. I've gone to the bedrooms of my children. I've run my fingers through their hair while they slept and prayed, God, don't let any one of my sons burn in hell. I want you to save them. You know, I've got great faith that they're all going to be saved. But I speak to some of my children tonight. You've got to understand one thing, boys. Salvation is a personal thing between you and God. Dad's salvation won't do for you. And I speak to some of our young people who are here who are depending on mom's walk with God and dad's walk with God. While their walk with God may be commendable, it's not enough to save you. You need your own salvation. He goes on to say, For we believe that Jesus died and rose again. Even so them which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself, that's Jesus Christ himself, shall descend from heaven with a shout. And with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Verse 18, listen to this. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Now, I have always used this as my own personal gauge. Now, I don't know that this would work for everybody, but it, it, it seems to be a good gauge for me. You see that last verse there, verse 18? He said, wherefore, comfort one another with these words. When I think about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, I know that there is a possibility that I could be left behind. Now I know that. Because I know that many people will be left behind. And if you read in the book of Revelation, there are a lot of people that will not make it in that rapture. Now you think about it just for a moment. What if you were left behind? What if you were left behind? And the personal gauge that I use when people are talking about the resurrection and the comfort and the soon coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and everything. And I get to thinking about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. If I feel comfortable, I feel in my heart the assurance that I'm ready. But when the preacher begins to preach it, or I begin to think about it, and all of a sudden there's a fear that grips over me. I said, wait a minute. The, the resurrection of the dead... And the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ should not cause a Christian fear. Now why am I having this fear? It's then time for me to make another trip back to the altar and pray until I can get up and talk about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and do like John said when he said, Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. And I'm probably speaking to somebody here tonight that when we talk about the resurrection of the dead and the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, 
you are very uncomfortable. You're probably not ready. I said, you're probably not ready. But did you know that you can leave here with great comfort? And you can leave here with great expectation and anticipation of his soon return if you make peace with God at an altar. That gospel Paul spoke of, the death, the burial, and the resurrection which he received, Jesus Christ died, he was buried, he arose again. Colossians, the second chapter, verse 9 and 10, speaks of this. He speaks of the faith of the operation of God. We are buried with him, just like Jesus Christ died and he was buried. You can be buried. This is why we have a baptismal tank up here that's full of water. Baptism in the scripture was a type of the burial of the Lord Jesus Christ. And just as Jesus Christ came out of that grave, the Bible says we can raise, can be raised through the faith of the operation of God in the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost can resurrect us from that grave, that watery grave of baptism, and we can receive the spirit of life inside of us that raised up Jesus Christ from the dead. Romans 8, 11, Now if that spirit that raised up Christ from the dead dwell in your mortal bodies, it shall also quicken you in the day of the Lord. Praise God. The same power that brought forth Lazarus out of the tomb, the same power that transfigured Jesus Christ on the Mount of Transfiguration, the same power that brought the Old Testament saints out of the grave, the same power that brought Jesus Christ out of the tomb, my friend, can be resident in your life. So when the trumpet blows, that same power will take you out of this world, out of this planet Earth, past the gravitational pull, Outside of our present uh, solar system or where we're going to meet the Lord. Praise God. Into his presence forevermore. But if that spirit is not resident in your life, the Holy Ghost. And you do not have resurrecting power. And that simply means then you'll not be resurrected when Jesus Christ comes. Praise God. Now in Matthew 25... Starting with verse 13, Jesus gave a parable. Or starting with verse 1 through verse 13. Jesus gave a parable of the five wise and the five foolish. At midnight, there was a cry made. Go ye out to meet him. And this is the hour of the midnight cry. Midnight denotes, in our Gentile world, And this is why I think he was prophesying to the Gentiles now. Midnight is the closing of one day and the dawning of a new one. Just at midnight, when grace is about to close, when the church doors of the church age will cease, there will be a cry made. Who's going to make that cry? I feel that I'm making it now, tonight. And whoever you hear say, Jesus is coming, is fulfilling that prophecy. There was a cry made, go ye out to meet him, the bridegroom cometh. Let me ask you this question. If the trumpet blew right now, would you be ready? Would you stand?
There is a great day coming. You have heard about it tonight. You have read about it in my word. Yet I have warned you in my word that the spirit of the last days will be like this. That there will be scoffers traveling after their own lust saying, Where is the promise of his coming? Does not my word declare that they will be traveling after their own lust? In other words, they work solely for their own benefit, for their own profit, and for their own gain, looking only at the present. But I say that you should project your mind to the future and to the things that are written in my book and to the things that you have heard tonight through my word. And I ask you this one important question. If I came tonight... Where would you be tomorrow? And after you have answered this question, then I ask you a second question. Would you make your heart right with me tonight? You see, it is written in my word that no man knows the day nor the hour in which I will come back. And so these facts have been disclosed and hidden and will not be revealed until such a time that the trumpet blows. But I am coming back, and I declared that my coming back would be as a thief in a night. But I want you to serve me. I want you to love me. I want you to live for me this day. I want to put my spirit inside of you and do an operation in your flesh that you will marvel at and understand the miraculous power of your God. I want to walk with you and talk with you now, even though it is my desire to be with you in eternity. I want to show you my love right now. And so I stand before you with my arms stretched out, and I knock upon your heart's door at this moment, and I ask of you to open up and let me come in, saith the Lord. On both sides of the pulpit, there is a place for you to come now. 
and pray and repent of your sins. Who'd like to be the first one to come? Would you step out right now and come and yield your heart to God? Praise God. Hallelujah. Praise God. A lot of people are coming. Come on right now, would you? Oh, glory to God. Would you come on now and give your heart to the Lord? Now, if you've never started a walk with God, you start out by asking God to forgive you of all your sins. Praise God. Just pour your heart out here and ask God to forgive you of all your sins. Would you do that right now? Come on, others need to come. Come on, would you? Praise God. Now we've got a number of people praying here. Why don't the remaining congregation just come and gather around somebody and pray with them?